to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, and I'm a practicing physician in the CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, covering the news to know for May the 4th. Please forgive me, I have been a delinquent. It has been two weeks since I have covered the news. I don't know, something about some virus that's out there that's just disrupting everything. It certainly has disrupted my life. Been exceptionally busy. Hope you all are staying safe. I'm on the eastern shore of Maryland. Not sure if you've been following the news. We are one of the latest hot spots in the country. We have a large amount of meat packaging plants, particularly chicken, in our area. And those workers are getting quite sick and transmitting it to their families. They tend to live in close quarters. So things have been hopping here on the Eastern Shore. Well, let's get to the news. I think probably the biggest article I'll cover it, it comes out of mobilehealthintelligence.com. And the news is that CMS expands COVID-19 telehealth reimbursement pretty broadly. And so I'll tell you who they're covering now. They're covering physical therapists and speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, I think psychologists are also covered in there. Hospitals can now bill for outpatient services furnished remotely by hospital-based practitioners, including telehealth to a patient's home, considered a temporary provider-based department of the hospital. They can now bill Medicare as the originating site for telehealth services furnished to those patients. CMS is expanding the list of audio-only phone services reimbursable through Medicare, including many behavioral health and patient education services, and the agency is increasing reimbursements for those services to match office visits or outpatient services retroactive to March 1st. The agency is speeding up the process by which it adds new services to the list of telehealth services available under Medicare, and federally qualified health clinics and rural health clinics are now reimbursed for providing telehealth services. Finally, CMS is waiving the video requirement for certain evaluation and management services, enabling providers to bill Medicare for services that are audio only. These are big events. CMS heard feedback that segments of the country were unable to do video visits and lack of broadband, lack of smartphones or computers. This is an issue in rural communities. I know it's an issue in my community here. We're fairly rural and there are providers, forget about patients, who like to live in rural areas and they don't have great broadband. So they're now allowing phone calls to count as office visits and I think this will be short term, but it does take off some of the pressure for those of us CMIOs that have to stand up video visits with perfection. Because as many of you are experiencing, there is a failure rate with this technology, whether it's browser incompatibility or patients not knowing how to use their phones and hitting the do not allow button when the software is looking for the mic and camera, or whether it's just internet congestion and just plain old patient reluctance or provider reluctance. And these are all factors into the rate of success for video visits. So as a country, we need to fix the broadband connectivity problems, cell phone access, the access to the technology. That's political and something that we need to do from, as a society. 
And I think it's going to take longer than COVID's course to fix that across the country. So I think we will be seeing phone visits continue for many, many months, which does give us time. In fact, it could even be a year or two. So what's going to happen? Docs are going to start charging for calls that they previously didn't charge for. So they're on call. It's nine o'clock at night. And now they're going to submit a, an office charge for that phone call requesting advice. So that's going to increase utilization. Many would argue that this is appropriate for a doctor to get paid for their clinical expertise if they are rendering that on the phone. You can include me in that category. But recognize what is coming. If utilization increases, I anticipate CMS is going to say, well, we're going to keep that budget neutral. I believe we will see CMS take it from somewhere else. They will possibly reduce office visit payments. I don't think they're going to reduce hospital payments right now because the hospitals are in such financial straits. Not that the private offices are doing so great either. So it's going to be tough for CMS to say, yeah, guys, we're going to cut back. But I do think it's going to stay for at least a while. And there was another article. This one's out of Becker's on April 28th, and it's quoting Seema Verma from CMS. What she says is, I think the genie's out of the bottle on this one. Seema Verma says that I think it's fair to say that the advent of telehealth has been just completely accelerated, that it's taken this crisis to push us to a new frontier, but there's absolutely no going back. And the Wall Street Journal reported that Telehealth visits went from 100,000 per week to 300,000 per week at the end of March. And this is, of course, because CMS and private payers have extended their coverage and made it equal to office visits. But that all has an expiration date of when the pandemic is over. Now, that's kind of ill-defined. And I love the fact that the government has removed the barriers. And now telehealth is rightfully coming into center stage. I'm going to jump to an article on Healthcare IT News, May 1st, and the title is Managing COVID-19 in a Perfect World. It's kind of an editorial. Well, I'll read you a paragraph or two and show you where it's going. It will come back to, it touches on telehealth a little bit, but the purpose of this blog is not to look in hindsight and proclaim this could have been done better. Rather, the objective is to look forward to the other side of this pandemic and be thankful for the rapid evolutions that medicine, technology, data mining, genomics, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, and big data have undergone. And more importantly, to make sure that we remember to use the possibilities. We are not lacking technology. We are lacking decisions. For many countries and regions, this was not caused by the lack of available technology, but ignorance, politics, and an inadequate focus on implementation. And... In this case, perhaps an unnerving sense of, well, we'll get to it in good time. We all knew the threat of a pandemic was real. To remind you, not only was there Ebola, but also SARS and MERS and, well, Zika. So there's been plenty of virus epidemics that we have faced. And it's not like we didn't know about the Spanish flu and the impact that a virus could have on the world. So, yeah, we just didn't make it a priority to be totally prepared. So we had some preparation, but nowhere near what the technology was possible to prepare for. 
The author goes on to say that we desperately need to have a closer look at sharing patients' data in a privacy-respecting and secure way in order to harvest the knowledge and benefits that big data will provide globally. And that's something that doesn't happen today. We kind of squirrel our data away in little silos. Now, I have heard that Cerner has taken de-identified data and put it out there. I know Epic is doing their own research on de-identified data, but not sharing it with others. And there are other organizations that are trying to get data together, but we don't have standard data sets. It's very hard to combine this data. So from that standpoint, we are unprepared. I don't think we have done a great job with integrating data across our health system, certainly not across countries. Singapore, South Korea, and Taiwan were prepared for the pandemic, the author says. Using knowledge from the 2003 SARS pandemic, they used technology to quarantine sick citizens while simultaneously testing, tracing, and tracking potential new cases. These governments also communicated directly to citizens via cell phones and monitored their whereabouts. That gets to a privacy thing that may not go over so well in the United States, but interesting. So next comment from the author, the SARS CoV-2 pandemic has finally let telemedicine out of the doghouse. Despite it being an established idea and technology, telemedicine is not effectively implemented. Telemedicine has always been measured according to financial benefits where it has fallen short. The need for healthcare workers to be at work the same amount of time or the number of healthcare workers required does not disappear with telemedicine but the safety of staying at home and speediness of a consultation is the real benefit shown during the pandemic. I personally believe that office visits are gonna be a little bit shorter with telehealth. The patients that are waiting in your exam room for one hour, they want every bit of your time that they can extract from you when they're in the office. And you feel guilty when you're running an hour behind. And so you give them every minute that you possibly can to complete their office visit. Now, when they're at home, a little bit different story. They're on their own time, and if you're running a little bit late, they're still able to do what they need to do. Also, their own life is calling them back because they're in their own living room, and the kids that are drawing on the wall are going to need to be <laughs> redirected, and so they're going to want to get off the call and get back to their lives. They're already in their lives. They're in their home environment. I think that'll cause some shortening of office visits. We'll have to wait and see how that pans out. We will be able to get data on that, and that will be very interesting. So just to give my thoughts about what the author was saying here, as CMIOs, we have to push our systems a little bit to be prepared. Yes, we're out of money, and we're busy with other things. We don't have the resources. Those are our usual excuses, but the technology is there. So we do need to make sure our telehealth solution can scale. And we do need to make sure that we have cameras and mics in reserve so that if there's a huge rush, we could roll that out. And we need to make sure our infrastructure can scale to support the people working from home if they needed to and learn from the challenges that we faced with permissions and security when we tried to float people to different parts of the organization. All challenges that we've experienced and we need to make sure that we're ready for next time and I'm sure there's people on the supply chain side who are gonna be looking at the PPE parts and as CMIOs, we probably won't be too involved with that, but the tracking of that PPE, I thought was really interesting. And if you run data analytics, if that's underneath your shop, 
absolutely having visibility into critical supplies is something that doctors like to know. They like to know what drugs are running low, what dialysis things are running low, what protective equipment's running low. So that I thought was very interesting. Next, two little lines out of histalk.com. The first one uh, is that Cerner is offering health systems and researchers free access to the de-identified data of COVID-19 patients for developing epidemiologic studies, clinical trials, and medical treatments. Also, Facebook Coronavirus Symptom Survey is sending results from 1 million users per week to Carnegie Mellon University for predicting disease spread and county-by-county -county impact. But those were cool. Next, let's talk a little bit about Epic and telehealth. May 1st, 2020, Healthcare IT News, Epic launches new telehealth service with Twilio. So for those of you who have Epic, you'll know that in the app Orchard, there are 14 different vendors that you could work with to get an integrated telehealth experience. Most of us who did not already have this in the face of the pandemic went with a non-integrated experience. Why? It's significantly quicker. And we made deals with other vendors and just got something in place so that our providers could get to work. But as we look forward, it's certainly a better experience for both the patient and the provider to have that integrated solution. You would like it so that the patient from within inside your portal can click and gain access to the provider and that the provider in a very smooth way can click and bring the patient up in their workspace. And so that's what now Epic is getting into this space. Always dangerous for third-party vendors. They could be working on something for years and years, and now Epic comes along and says, oh yeah, we're getting into this space. I'm not surprised that they're getting into this space. However, I think they're rushing it. I don't think this was their timeline to launch their telehealth platform. My gut says they responded to the market's needs, and they're going to see everyone sign up for telehealth vendors. And if they waited another year, they will have missed the market. Most of their customers will have already done the hard work and gone with a vendor and done the APIs that need to happen to make the connection. So anyway, Epic has gotten into the mix. They're using Twilio's programmable video API. So Twilio is the back end uh, of this tool. And Epic's quote here, actually, I think this comes from Twilio. Epic built and scaled its telehealth video client at unprecedented speed to meet provider and patient demand as healthcare systems not only struggled to curb the spread of the virus, but continue to deliver necessary care through the COVID-19 pandemic. A little red flag to me there. They are not on their normal development timeline with this. They are pushing it. So my opinion, I think in the short term, other vendors are going to have the better product. Multi-party video is one example. Another one is that some vendors like Amwell, Teladoc, MD Live, they have provider networks that will provide coverage. If you don't want to do urgent care, they will take that urgent care business and they have a network that will serve that. So you can offer 24-7 services through one of these partners. And I think there's value in that. Epic will eventually get there if there's enough systems on Epic's telehealth solution, then Epic will be able to connect you. So let's say our healthcare system didn't want to do it, but Mercy does. Well, we might be able to form a contract with Mercy saying, will you cover us? So that potential is out there. I think over the years, 
Epic will get it right and they will develop a very good solution. At some point, this becomes a commodity. It's the MyChart experience. It's a portal-based experience. No matter what third-party vendor you use, all of them are bringing up your patient in a window. So at that point, you're going to be going based on lowest price and ease of implementation. You're also probably not going to want to switch this around very often, but if there's a significant price benefit, you might. So keep your eye on this space. Interesting that Epic's coming in. I don't think you have to do anything about it today. Uh, I don't know their pricing model or their official launch timeline. Last I heard is that they have not given a go live date as of yet, but within the month they're supposed to. Next, I want to cover an article that's in the New England Journal of Medicine. It is a editorial, a perspective, they call it, a physician burnout interrupted by Pamela Hartsband, MD, and Jerome uh, Groupman, MD. And this came out May 1st. So this article is talking about provider burnout and how it was impacted by the COVID epidemic. So first they talk about what's the current state. I'm not going to go too deep into that. You all understand what burnout looks like. But they do say that solutions have largely targeted the doctor proposing exercise classes and relaxation techniques, snacks and social hours for decompressing, greater access to childcare, hobbies to enrich free time, and ways to increase efficiency and maximize productivity. There is scant evidence that any of these measures work. And that was from a meta-analysis of 19 controlled studies evaluating a total of more than 1,500 physicians. And so just to comment on that, I don't believe that yoga is something that we should offer our providers and say, yes, life sucks, put some lipstick on the pig and it'll just look better. And I do know some organizations that do that and I don't like that approach. I do like increasing efficiency and maximizing productivity though. I think if you can make the providers more comfortable in the EHR, it does help. I'm not saying it resolves burnout, but being able to to master the tools that you work with does improve a provider's confidence level. And that is important to helping them get through their day. Another line or two from the article here, the problem of burnout will not be solved without addressing the issues of autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Evidence from the meta-analysis of controlled intervention supports the restoration of autonomy, giving doctors flexibility in their schedule to allow for individual styles of practice and patient interaction was one of the few system solutions that reduced burnout. I want to comment on that. I think it's a great idea that if a physician wants to start at 7 a.m. but finish at 3, great. As a CMIO, there's a piece that we could play a role with, and that's helping to identify patients that need more time. If Miss Sally, when she comes in every time, takes 35 minutes for her office visit, don't put her in a 15-minute slot. We have that data we should be able to reflect that knowledge in our scheduling. And most of us don't do that. Most of us simply, uh, you got blocks of 15 or 20 minutes and, and that's it. And we'll take two slots and merge them together for a physical exam or a consult or whatever. We can do better than that. I really do. If you're seeing a 16 year old for a, a healthy checkup, that's different than someone who's coming in with an acute pain uh, in their abdomen. That's that's a different workup, a different beast. So give us the time to do that right. That's where CMIOs can be very impactful. Let's see. As the crisis 
A Bates, we need to remember the lesson that the system can be reset is the time to evaluate what has worked and what has not in healthcare reform. We must not return to the former status quo. In my opinion, the biggest beast here, coding and documentation requirements in the fee-for-service world drives burnout. Providers are worried about which boxes they're clicking and checking and whether they're reaching enough elements to get to a level four, and they're thinking about, are they using the right phrase so the coder doesn't send this back to them? And that's obnoxious and they don't really care and they don't wanna do that. I think if you free doctors from these constraints, I think if you allowed them the flexibility in scheduling, I think we would see providers enjoying their use of the EMR and exploring the features that help them take longitudinal care of the patient and not just focusing on the acute issue in front of them. Interesting article out of CLASS, KLAS, CLASS Research. They're talking about hospital EMR market share in 2020. And interesting to see who the winners and losers are. Meditech's market share is expanding. Now, Meditech is focused on the much smaller hospitals in the 26 to 200 bed range. And they did get an organization that's over 400 beds. There's one of them. And it'll be interesting to see how that progresses and whether Meditech can make the jump into the larger hospital systems. Obviously, the big vendors in that space is going to be Cerner and Epic. But Cerner saw a net decrease in beds for the first time. They have consistently been increasing along with Epic. Epic did see continued growth in market share, and now account for just under 40% of all the acute care beds in the United States. And Epic seems to be gaining at Cerner's expense. There have been some high profile changes. I cannot imagine what in the world would lead a health system to throw out a perfectly good EMR in place of another perfectly good EMR. That's got to be incredibly expensive, unless this was a merger and acquisition where half your system is on one EMR and you're consolidating to get to everyone on the same platform. Now, that makes sense, but I can't understand if you were a Cerner shop and just saying, eh, let's try the other one. That would be challenging. Allscripts is continuing to lose market share. I don't know why. I have not personally seen it. Anyway, let's talk about the VA going live with their electronic health system. So the contract was awarded at a cost of almost $10 billion over a 10-year period going to Cerner. If successfully implemented, it will create a common electronic health record system across the Department of Defense and the VA. The Office of Inspector General, because of the size of this contract, they're keeping a close watch on it, and they had a recent evaluation. Now, the VA does estimate that it's going to take another $6.1 billion for program management and infrastructure related costs. 4.3 billion of that is the program infrastructure. IT infrastructures, including things like network components, local area networks, and user devices like laptops and desktop computers and monitors and other medical devices. When the Department of Defense implemented the MHS Genesis system at its initial deployment, the department experienced significant setbacks such as an overwhelming number of help desk tickets, loss of initial system connectivity, and a low user adoption rate. This caused the DOD to halt its implementation for two years while they corrected deficiencies and evaluated deployment actions. As a result of this evaluation, among other lessons learned, the Department of Defense concluded that infrastructure upgrades should be completed at least six months before deploying the system to help ensure an efficient and successful rollout. So the OIG audited and found out, no, they're not ready, that the infrastructure is not in place. And evidently the plan was to put the infrastructure in place about four months after the go live. 
which kind of sounds like you're repeating the mistakes of the past. And in general, the go lives I've been involved with, you put the infrastructure in place first, then you went live. You want to have as much in your favor at go live. You don't want poor adoption. That could be detrimental to your career as a CMIO. So if you're going live with a EMR implementation, I'd encourage you to take a look at the infrastructure piece, although that tends to be the CIO's role. Keep in mind, if things are going bad and the doctors are complaining, they're going to become looking for you as a CMIO. So you might want to have your finger on the pulse of that one. And last one is a very controversial one. Telehealth article comes out of M Health Intelligence and the PA governor vetoes telehealth bill and the Pennsylvania governor, Tom Wolf, vetoed a telehealth bill because it had a ban on telemedicine abortions. And this had to do with being able to prescribe the drug mifepristone, which is used to induce medical abortions. And the governor didn't go for that. So I'm not getting political on this podcast. I'm just highlighting that politics is playing a role in our healthcare. That's not new, but certainly having a major impact for the residents of Pennsylvania if telehealth isn't getting the same access that others are able to achieve because of politics. And I think we'll wrap it there for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.